Hello, everyone, and thank you, worship team. It is great to see you again here on this, as Chris mentioned, this holiday summer weekend. And for those of you joining online, welcome as well. Uh, for the month of July, we've had some guest speakers, and uh, looking ahead to, to the next few weeks in August, there'll be some more guest speakers, and I hope you've enjoyed them. Uh, for me, uh, it's been a little break. Uh, I've been on holidays and um, speaking at a couple other places, and then also looking ahead to September 10th, our new ministry year. So very excited about, about that, and uh, it's good to be back with you again. Well, on my holidays, the first week I was at Chester Lake Camp, and I was speaking there, so it was somewhat of a holiday. And after that week, I went to the Pinery Provincial Park. Uh, I like to go there, and I was really looking forward to some peace and quiet. Anybody else on your holidays once in a while, just peace and quiet? Not this year. It seemed like everybody had a, a playlist that they were playing. The campsite... They've got a country music playlist going here. Or there's another country playlist over there. Go to the beach, there's a pop playlist, another pop playlist. There's a playlist. I don't even know what genre it was. It like had electronic something or another. And I'm just, there's more music there. It seemed like everywhere I went, there was music. Well, one night I was going to the, to the bathroom with a... One night, I was on my way to the bathroom with a flashlight, and there was, at a campsite, there was a couple couples, and they were around the campfire, but there was these kids. And what struck me was the age of these kids. They were like, like just little kids, and they were listening to a playlist. And on the way to the bathroom, like, what's that song playing? What's going on there? On the way back, it was a, an older Taylor Swift song. And it really struck me once again, not only do we all listen to music, but as reminded again that music is powerful. We listen to it because it moves us. It stirs our affections. It engages us with our emotions. It can move us that way. But something, too, about music is that it can imprint those words, what we're hearing, on our memory. So music is very powerful. And I'm not sure if you listen to classical or country, whatever you listen to. If you're a follower of God, uh, as we begin this new series, we're going to look at the classic playlist of the people of God. Uh, last year, uh, we looked at this playlist entitled Psalms, a soundtrack for our lives. We looked at four songs on this playlist, and um, this, uh, this summer we're looking at five more songs on this playlist. Uh, David, King David, 3,000 years ago, he composed about half of the songs on this playlist. And in fact, before he died, he organized the Levites under Asaph, who was like the director of worship. He directed Asaph with the music, but also with instruments, that when the temple was built uh, under Solomon, David's son, that these songs would be played. And so you had this song list grow in number to 150 songs. And by the time of Jesus, a thousand years later, um, he was saturated in the Psalms. He lived and breathed the Psalms. Uh, on, when the, the disciples would go to Jerusalem, they'd be singing these songs. So he, he knew the songs. In fact, um, the night before he uh, would go to the cross, after he celebrated the Last Supper with his disciples, he sang one of these songs uh, on the cross. He was singing, in a sense, or praying these songs. So Psalms, for you and your Bibles, and if you're new to the Bible, it's in the middle of your Bible, but there's 150 prayers or songs, and it's sometimes called 
the Psalter. It's the classic playlist of God. And just as Jesus was immersed in these songs, you too, as a follower of Jesus, need to be immersed again and again. So if you're here today and maybe you're here and, and what you're facing in life, you feel like, does, am I alone? I just don't sense God's presence. Then you go to Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And you said, sing that back to God. If you're here today and there's someone that has maybe done you wrong or something's happening, you're look at it, looking at evil, maybe it's around our world, and you're like, are all of these people getting away with evil? Is it really worth it to become a Christian? You would go to Song 73. If you're here today and something has just um, changed your world, suddenly your world is spinning and you're trying to make sense, you would go, go to Song 121. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. If you're here today, you have low self-esteem and you're like, does, does anybody see me, know me? You'd go to Song 139. Well, today we're going to go to Song 146. And if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn there. We'll be there in just a moment. But it's what's known as a praise song. With 150 songs, we have three different types of songs in our songbook. There are what we know as praise songs, and that's where we praise God for who He is, for His attributes. We have thanksgiving songs, and that's where we thank God for His answers. And then we have lament songs, and that's where we call out to God with our, in our pain, and we're asking God, where are you? What's up with, with my life here? So three kinds of songs, and that you would be familiar with all three. Now, as we look at praise songs, uh, you were made uh, by God to praise Him. You're hardwired to praise Him. And when you do that, you, in a sense, are glorifying Him, but also there's power that He wants to see in your life. I remember as a young boy um, going to a concert by a, a fellow named Merle uh, Womack, and uh, Merle had uh, suffered, he was in an accident, suffered third-degree burns over his face and his hands, and, uh, and it was a concert. Uh, he had what was known as 42 different voices. His voice range was unbelievable, um, but, but he was burned. And in fact, his wife um, was, was sharing um, that, you know, when, when she first saw his face, there was no nose, no mouth, no eyes, nothing. And uh, they had to reconstruct his face. And here was this guy with this reconstructed face singing praise to God. And uh, his stories, uh, the book was written about him called Tested by Fire, but he had a book called Power and Praise. And I read that book, and it impacted me that there's something about praising God regularly. And I want to tell you, if you're here, that not only do you glorify God when you praise Him, but His power begins to work in your life. He wants to help you to overcome fear or anxiety, or despair, or bitterness, or anger, and praising Him postures yourself for Him to work. So what we're going to do today in Psalm 145 is we're going to look at two reasons, the two big reasons David gives us to praise God. We're going to look at the benefits of praising Him, and then different ways that we can praise Him. So Psalm 145, and may God speak to you today as you seek to develop this habit of praising Him in your life. Beginning in verse 1, David writes, I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. Notice there that emphasis. I will. 
Like, whether I'm having a good day or a bad day, I will praise you. I will exalt you. I will extol you. And who's he praising? He's looking up to his God, my God, the king. David, 3,000 years ago, realized that with his kingship, it was fleeting. It was limited. Today, be reminded with the 200 or so countries around the world, that everybody's rule is temporary, it's fleeting. But David is lifting up his eyes to the ultimate king, the only king, the true king, the king. And notice, his reign and rule is not temporary. I will praise you forever and ever. So what does David mean by praising God? Well, we heard today the word praise in our English comes from the word, the Hebrew word, hallel. Hallelujah. It's a compound word, comes from hallel, praise, and the suffix yah is from Yahweh. So you are saying, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. If you look in your Bible, Psalm one, Psalms 146 through 150 are known as the Hallelujah Psalms. So if you'd like to cultivate praise, it's right through the songbook, but those songs in particular are Hallelujah Songs because they all begin with praise the Lord and they all end with praise the Lord. So David says, I will praise you, my king. A a good way to understand what he means by praise is is a word that's a derivative, appraisal, and I think most of us are familiar with that word. If we invite a professional to do an appraisal, let's say it's on a house or on uh, your property or on a piece of jewelry, what you're asking that person to do is to ascribe value to that object. Similarly, with God, when you are praising Him, you are ascribing value to Him. And when you understand like who He is, you're not only ascribing value to Him, you're honoring Him, you're worshiping Him, you're declaring Him. So David says, every day, as long as I live, I'm going to praise you, my God, the King. Why Is David going to praise him? Why should we praise this God? We praise him first for his unsearchable greatness. Look at what he says in verse 3. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. So we praise him for his greatness, but also his unsearchable greatness. You, You and I will never, even for all eternity, we will never grasp the weight and the glory and the greatness of God. No one can fathom it. Now, this infinite God has revealed to us His finite creatures a little of His greatness, a little of His glory. So, uh, when you look at creation, you see how great He is. Creation is in a fixed state of glorifying God, of saying how great our God is. David says in Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of His hands, Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. That God's greatness is on permanent display. He's got this worldwide tour. And he says, you can take a daytime class or you can take a nighttime class. It's all about my greatness. When we see creation we respond with praise. God, you are great. Now, maybe you're here today and you're like, well, I was taught in school evolution and I'm not sure there is a a God. 
Paul says in Romans 1.20, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Paul reminds us that God has given us enough data that as we look around, that we realize there is a God behind all that we can see. Now, I've shared with you the four arguments for God that, I, that have affected me, the cosmological argument, the teleological argument, the moral argument, and the ontological argument for God. But the first two, the cosmological argument, is the idea that something that exists there had to be a cause. There had to be a first cause. Now, when I was in high school, I had a, a science teacher who said that all that we can see is from evolution. God was not in the equation. We didn't need God because this science teacher told me in the class that the universe was eternal. And in my mind, I'm thinking, that's not what the Bible says. Well, now with the advancement of scientific tools, we now know that there was a first cause, that the universe had a beginning. And that's why I've shared, as we increase in these scientific tools, they point us more to God and not away from God. Who made the matter? Because it had a beginning, and something doesn't come from nothing. So the cosmological cosmological argument. It leads us to praise this God. God, you're the one behind all of what we can see. There's also the teleological argument, which, which says that there's, we, when we see the order or the complexity of, of the universe, there's got to be someone behind that. It just doesn't happen by chance. The numbers are too big. And again, with the advancement of scientific tools, more and more, it's pointing to someone behind it, a God behind it. Uh, 30 years ago, uh, many of you are familiar with the Hubble Space Tele Telescope and brought back these images from space about the, our, the, our universe and the galaxy we're in and the different galaxies. Uh, well, just about two years ago, um, they launched the James Webb Space Telescope uh, and it brought back images. It's a hundred more times powerful than the Hubble telescope, and it brought back images that are just stunning. Again, we see the eternal power and divine nature of God, that there's got to be someone behind all of this order and complexity. Now, again, especially for young people, please understand you may have a university professor who believes in evolution. There's no God needed in the equation. But please understand, there are scientists who are at the top of their field who believe in a creator God at Harvard, at MIT, at Oxford, at Cambridge. Uh, one of them uh, is uh, uh, Karen Uberg, and she is the professor of astronomy at Harvard. And speaking recently at a Wonder Conference, she says this, she's talking about the intelligibility of the universe. It's this idea that, man, we're learning more and more stuff because our tools are becoming more and more advanced. She says this, uh, this intelligibility shows the incredible generosity of the creator in sharing his causal powers with, with creation again in a way that I think would have been impossible to imagine in the pre-existent world. It shows the incredible generosity of the Creator in sharing His causal powers. What she's saying there, as we go back to the pre-scientific world, David, he's not looking through a telescope. He's not looking through a microscope, but yet God is great. And she's saying, as we look through stronger telescopes and stronger microscopes, 
We just like, thank you, God, for sharing your beauty with us. God is great. His greatness no one can fathom. Psalm 113, the Lord is, up, is over all the nations, His glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, the one who sits enthroned on high and stoops down to look at the heavens and the earth? We're like looking out to Mars and we're like, oh my goodness, we're going to try to get to Mars. And it's just like this tiny little planet in, in the middle of nowhere that's so small. And God's looking down at all of his creatures. i got to bend down and look. Friends, do you understand? We live in a culture where people are not exalting and praising God. That God's nowhere on their playlist. But if you're a person who, who is a Christian, you're praising God first for his greatness. God, you made all this. I believe. I declare it when I sing these songs. So as uh, J.B. Phillips said, he said, if God was small enough for us to figure out he wouldn't be big enough for us to worship. We cannot fathom His greatness. He is worthy of our, of our worship. That you praise Him, you worship Him, you honor Him, you declare His greatness. And David then invites in this song, he invites all people to join in. And in particular, he says to the older people, listen, you've got this responsibility to the next generation to help them praise God. Look what he says in verses 4 through 6. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. That's what we want to do at Woodside with our youth and with our children, is we want to commend, we want to praise, we want to speak of, we want to proclaim the greatness of this God, his works and his acts. David has in mind uh, the creation account and God's power there, but he also has in mind Exodus, uh, his ancestors, where God delivered the people, rescued the people. So he's, he's saying, we've got to pass it along to the next generation. And at Woodside, that's what we seek to do. And that's why we have Sunday school. That's why we have uh, summer camps here at Woodside. We have camps like Conestoga Bible Camp that we support. Um, that's why the, the elders and leaders are, are looking at the space of our children and hopefully maybe in the days ahead to improve that space to make it more effective because we want kids to know how great our God is. And I just want to say to you, if you're here and you are helping out or, or thinking about helping out in children's ministry, it is such an important ministry. And even if you're just someone that's helping to supervise the kids, you're not teaching... God is using you because that's what we're doing. We're seeking to, to commend to the next generation the greatness of God. And notice there in verse 5 where David says, I will meditate on your wonderful works. Everybody praise him, but everybody just pause for a moment and meditate to think, to reflect. The word actually means as well to mutter. Just think on his greatness. Mutter it to yourself how great he is. And that's what we're called to do regularly, to turn our eyes from the horizontal, right, where there's like, no God, not worthy of praise, and regularly as his followers to think on him, to focus on him. In uh, 2 Corinthians 4, we read, we're to fix our eyes on things unseen, not things that are seen, because the things that are seen are temporal, the things unseen are eternal. In Colossians 3, we are called to set our minds on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. In Hebrews 3, we're to fix our thoughts on Jesus, 
on, in Hebrews 12, we're to fix our, our eyes on Jesus. So there is this call for you to regularly create space where you're just alone with God and your eyes are up on Him and you're thinking just of His greatness. When we come on a Sunday, that's what you're doing, is you're taking time to create space where my eyes, I'm meditating on God's greatness. And it's in that place where you're doing that that God can show Himself. When you understand the greatness of God, you come to realize that it dwarfs your problems. Doesn't mean that those problems aren't important. Doesn't mean that those problems don't carry pain. Sometimes with words we can't even express. But it puts that pain in what you're going through in its proper context. That this stuff I'm going through and all the pain, it's not going to, there's somebody behind all of it and he is great. But not only is he great, David gives us a second reason to praise God, because he is good. We praise him for his unsearchable greatness. He's above us, he's God, we're not. But we praise him for his abundant goodness. That the one who sovereignly reigns over your life is the same one who's intimately involved in it, even though at times you may not think it to be so. Look what David uh, writes and, and says in verses 7 through 9. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. They celebrate your abundant goodness, that God is not only great, he is good. And at times you may not feel it, but your your limited understanding of why you're going through what you're going through, it doesn't change his character. He still is good. You may not understand him, but he's still good. That's where trust and faith come in. And how do you know that he is good? Well, the greatest demonstration that God is good is by sending his son Jesus to die on a cross for your sins so that you can be forgiven and have eternal life, so that death and sin do not have the last word. That's what he says there. Joyfully sing of your righteousness. And if you're here today and you know Jesus as your Savior, then you know what God has done for you. That the one who has no beginning and no end loves you so much that he stepped into this world, took upon himself human flesh, and died on a cross to pay for your sins so you could be with him forever and ever. And when you understand that, when you begin to get that, you grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, it begins to change you. He be God begins to change you from the inside out, and you're like, you are most worthy of praise. There's some things that, that naturally evoke praise, exuberance, wonder. When you get the greatness of God, you find yourself praising Him. If you're not praising God for His greatness, you don't understand how great He is. And if you're here and you're not praising Him for His goodness, you don't understand His goodness. It naturally, it's like when you look at a sunset in the sun, you're like, okay, wow, that's beautiful. But if you were to get closer to the sun, right, and you're getting closer, we'd all fry, but you get closer to the sun, you're not like taking out your smartphone, your cell phone, and like, oh, I wonder who's, who's, who's texting me. You're just like, the sun evokes 
naturally evokes this wonder, this exuberance, this awe. The one who created the Son, when you understand Him and He reveals Himself to you, you're just like, I've got to praise Him. And sometimes we don't feel like it, but we understand I have to praise Him. Stop and think about His goodness. He says He's a God of love. A God of love. Not only does He do loving things, but He is love. He's a source of love. He embodies love. One way to, to measure whether you understand love, His love or not, is this. Most of us go on social media, and if you go on social media, and, and again, it's got its good, good points, but it, there's a downside as well. But if you go on social media and you're constantly striving to get people to love you, like, please like me, please notice me, please say something good about me. Now, those are all valid um, desires. But if you're just like striving, you need that love, you're not understanding the love of God. Because when you understand that the king of the universe out of 8 billion people, he died for you, he loves you, it frees you from striving from other people's love. I don't care if you like what I just posted or like my picture of me wherever I was. If you do, that's great. But, but you understand it. I want to ask you, do, do, are you resting in the love of God? This, this revelation of God to us, it evokes this praise. Let me just uh, give you a couple examples from my life. Just one time I was praising him for his greatness, and another time I found myself praising him for his goodness, and, and both times were with the people of God. So the first time I was in Switzerland uh, for five days, and just uh, always wanted, I think I've shared this, I always wanted to go to Switzerland since I was younger, and uh, to go to Lauterbrunnen Valley. And uh, we... Um, that, that, that was, uh, it came true. And so I'm in a car heading towards Lauterbrunnen Valley. And I'm in the car with my daughter and then my niece and my brother-in-law. And we're driving there. And my, my daughter starts to sing the song, How Great Thou Art, the hymn. And we're singing the song, How Great Thou Art, in verse 2, which talks about his greatness. We're singing, When I look down from lofty mountain grandeur, and hear the brook and feel the gentle breeze, then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. And I kid you not, I'm, we're in the midst of mountains, and I'm looking at this brook. I don't know if I rolled down my window to actually hear it, but I saw it. And by the way, in Switzerland, their brooks have big rocks, and they're all like polished. They're beautiful, beautiful brooks. But it wasn't like, hmm. No, it was, I praise you, God. I'm looking at his beautiful creation. But a week and a half ago, I was praising him for his goodness. I was uh, with some family, and we'd gathered. My mom, we're not sure how much longer she has to live. Could be a few more months yet or not. We're not sure. And in this gathering of, of family, um, someone grabbed a guitar, and we sang two, two songs. And the first one was, How Great Thou Art. And I wasn't drawn to verse 2, never even clicked verse 2. I was drawn to verse 3, which speaks of his goodness because my mom was dying, but I know death is not the end. And verse 3 says, when I think that God, his son, not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in, that on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. And I was just so moved singing about the goodness of God. As you go through life, you're singing about his greatness, but you're also singing about his goodness. And maybe you're here and you're like, well, 
I'm not in a mountain somewhere, so it's a little harder for me to sing. It's an act of your will. It's saying, God, I'm declaring, I recognize you are worthy, most worthy of my praise. And I've shared this story before, but, but one from a, a, the older generation that impacted me sharing with my generation was my, my aunt, and um, she, she lost a baby girl um, who died. She lost her husband who died. She lost her son-in-law who died. She lost her son who died. She lost her second husband who died. And I'm visiting her in a senior's home, and death is all around. And she's telling me how good God is and how good God has been to her. That's faith. Because she knows that whatever happens in this life is not the last word. There's a God who made her and a God who loved her. And when you get that, you will praise him as well. Notice verse 8 Uh, The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and rich in love. David is drawing this from Exodus 34, where Moses says, hey, God, reveal yourself to me. I want to see your glory. And God says, I can't reveal all my glory to you because he's, Moses is finite. But he says, "Uh, here, Moses, here's uh, how I'm going to describe myself. Put this on my Facebook page. And it's interesting, Joel, Jeremiah, Jonah, Nehemiah, as you read your Bible, this is the most common description of God. So God says, if you want to know what I'm like, and you'll find it in Exodus 34, he says that I'm gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich or abounding in love, and Exodus 34 also includes, and faithfulness. That's the goodness of God. David then goes on in verses 10 through 13 to say, okay, everybody stand up. We're going to praise God for his greatness. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. Your kingdom, your reign and rule, it's eternal. But friends, please, here's what we celebrate. It's a loving reign and rule. That this king who reigns is the king who loves us. And then David then breaks into, let's praise him as well for his goodness, beginning in verse 13. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. The Lord is near. The one who is transcendent is also imminent. He's involved in his creation, and he helps the weak. He provides food. He answers prayer. He protects his people. And if you're here and you're like, wait a second, everybody doesn't always get the food. It just said he provides food for everybody. Well, he has provided enough food for everybody, for the whole world, but he's allowed uh, um, in our fallen world, in his decreed will, he's allowed people to keep it from other people. So, so, but his heart is that all people in one day, uh, we will see the goodness of God without it being tempered by the fallenness of man. Notice verse 22. It says, the Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. It's not like God's up there, I'm going to get you. It's because God is holy. He has a settled opposition to all that's not in line with his character, with all that's not in line with what is good. 
And he, he, he has to judge sin. He has to judge your sin and my sin. Sometimes, uh, just recently, I've just been aware of this fallen world and so much evil being done. I mean, it just seems like everywhere you turn, you know, they want uh, a password and, you know, authentic, uh, you know, different ways to authenticate it. It's really you because people are stealing from other people. And then there's people, I just was talking to someone about stealing cars that someone they know, their beautiful car got stolen. And then I went, I'm not sure if you have seen the movie The Sound of Freedom. If you haven't uh, seen that movie, I encourage you. It is a, a very moving movie, The Sound of Freedom. And all of these children that have been stolen, we have a God who says, that's not right, and I'm going to judge it all. And I praise God for His justice, that in one day, He will right all of these wrongs. And I also praise God for His goodness that my sins have been covered by Him. So David, he calls people to join him as he praises God. Um, So just take a moment. What are the benefits of praising God? First, when you praise God, you're revealing your faith. Am I really going to say that God is great? Am I really going to say that God is good? If by faith you do that, you're revealing, yeah, I'm declaring that. But also, it reorientates you. It reveals, but it reorientates. As you put your focus on Him, God begins to work in your life. He responds. And sometimes He changes the circumstance. Sometimes it's your heart, but He always responds. Uh, For a circumstance, a change in circumstance, many examples in Scripture. Acts chapter 16, we read that after midnight, Paul and Silas were praising uh, singing, praying and singing uh, praise to God, hymns to God. Uh, they were at the pinery. It was after midnight, and they were singing, and all the other campers were listening. No, they were in prison. They had been telling others about Jesus, falsely accused, beaten, thrown in prison after midnight, and there, by faith, they're praising God. And if you read the story, God, who intervenes in His creation a lot of, around the time of Christ, he opens, there's an earthquake and the prison doors are opened. Sometimes God works in circumstances and moves as we praise Him. Other times, He works in our hearts. You find yourself, and you may not be in a literal prison, but you might be in a prison of fear, where fear just kind of dominates your life, or a prison of anxiety, or a prison of shame, or a prison of bitterness. As you reorient your life and you begin to praise God, for His goodness and His greatness. He begins to lift your spirit and change you in your heart. And that's why it's so important to get God's truth into you, His Word, so that He can use it in your life. And just a reminder to us that people that do not know God, they're alone. And God's called us and invited us Oh, I'm living for the glory of God. I've, I've heard this a number of times or came across a book on my holidays and the universe has your back. You know, the universe loves you. The universe has got you. Can I tell you, without God in the equation and the atheistic worldview, secular worldview, right? The cold hard truth is the universe is cold. It's dark. And to borrow one person's phrase, it's pitifully indifferent, Okay. Like you can tell yourself the universe got your back. No, it doesn't. You're on your own. 
God's inviting you who made you to say, I'm not believing that. I'm believing this God. I'm going to trust Him. The benefits of praising God. Well, what are some ways to praise God? Uh, first, praying. Second, singing. Third, instruments, lifting hands, clapping, and dancing. These are all drawn from the Psalms. So in your life, do you have a time when you praise God by praying? Now, it could be on a Sunday as we collectively do that. Oh, God, I praise you. And, and that, but in your life, is there a time where you praise Him? I know for me, um, I use the acronym when I talk to God in my relationship with God, ACTS. Uh, it helps me because my mind tends to wander, but it helps me. A is for adoration, C is for confession, T is for thanksgiving, and S is for supplication, asking God for things. And my tendency would be to go right to the asking. And sometimes I go right there, but most of the time I start with adoration, with praising God for who He is. And I typically start with um, Lord, I want to be still and know that you're God. And then as I just, I'm, I'm, okay, you're God, I'm not God, I then usually typically take an attribute of his, and I usually pray it through for a week. And so uh, in church, whether it's something we hear in church or somewhere else, and so, Lord, I'm praising you for your faithfulness, that you, because of your character, cannot be unfaithful. Thank you that I can rest in your promises. I praise you for faithfulness. I praise you that you know all things. You know what happened. I praise you um, that you are all-powerful, that even though I can't change the circumstance, you can change it. So I'm, I'm beginning by praising him through my prayers. Second way we can praise God is singing. Uh, sing to the Lord a new song, singing in a car, singing in the shower, singing to God a praise song, singing at church, uh, instruments, praise Him with the sounding trumpet, harp and lyre, stringed instruments, praising Him. If you, if you play an instrument, can I encourage you? Praise it, pray it, play it to God. I want to praise you with my instrument. That's why I gave up playing the accordion because it wasn't pray, any praise to God. Um, <laughs> lifting hands. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. Please know at Woodside, uh, at home, you may lift up your hands and praise Him, a sign of, of worship, of surrender. But at Woodside, you have the freedom to do that. Okay, you don't have to, but if the Spirit's moving in your heart uh, during a Sunday service and a song, just be, feel free just to lift up your hands. What does the person think about beside me? Who cares? It's you and God, right? You're, you're praising Him. Uh, clapping, clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. Um, I find it hard when we clap during a song, but sometimes we do, and that's good. Um, but sometimes we clap at the end of the song, and I'm just all in. I'm like, oh, he's worthy of praise. That was just great, and I was clapping. Uh, and then there's dancing. Let them, <laughs> let them praise his name with dancing. Interesting. I like the response of one pastor who was asked, can Christians dance? And he said, well, some can and some can't. <laughs> We don't, for the most part, collectively have dancing on a Sunday morning just because it can draw our attention to the one that's dancing rather than on God. But at home, feel free to dance. Not like David in your underwear. Well, that's your thing. But, but feel free to dance. It's one thing to dance and say, oh, my team won the championship. Or, oh, we got our first house and I'm just so excited. That's one thing. It's another thing to dance when you know that God is your king and that you're going to be with him forever and ever. David concludes his song with these words in verse 21. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord 
Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. Lord, on the good days, on the bad days, even when I don't feel like it, you're worthy of my praise. Help me to do that. And we're going to take some time now to praise him. I'm going to invite the worship team forward. And uh, we're going to sing praise to God. The instruments are going to be played to the praise of God. And if you'd like, again, with the freedom, if you'd like to raise your hands, you don't have to, but you can. But we're singing to the one who has no beginning and no end, who stoops down to look at the creation, but that same one, that same God came into this world, died on a cross for you. And when you know who he is and what he's done for you, you praise him.